Welcome to The Laws of Style, featuring conversations on creativity, fashion, and the law from the leading edge of our economy and culture. Hosted by noted fashion lawyer, Douglas Hand. Hello, and welcome to The Laws of Style. I'm your host, Douglas Hand. And for this episode, I'm joined by creative director of the brand St. Art, Donald Oliver. Donald, thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure. It's great to meet you. So you are indeed a veteran of the industry with a design CV that extends from posts at DKNY, The Gap, Vera Wang, J Brand significantly, Jason Wu significantly. Tell us about that career arc and how it informs your approach now at St. Art. Um, right. Uh, you know, I, it's so funny. I've never been called a veteran. I've worked for a couple of veterans in the industry, um, never hearing my name as a veteran. But I guess you're right. I've been in the industry for over 30 years and have worked for some amazing people, as you mentioned. And you know, I I started my career as a as a graphic designer. Um, I grew up in Zimbabwe, so it was a it was, you know, a, not an easy career option. And I studied graphics and worked my way in through denim and wash development. And um, so, really, working with these people was essentially about denim in the beginning. Okay. Um, so it all started with denim as the focus, and as my career progressed, and as I got more and more senior. Um, apparel started creeping into my repertoire and to things that I, I enjoyed. Um, you know, I, I think I've learned so many different things from so many different people throughout my career. Obviously, working at Levi's in the early days of my career has taught me so much about denim and denim development and wash techniques. And then obviously, Calvin, you know, I think Calvin probably being hands down the most um, influential design veteran that I've worked with as far as what I've learned and what I've taken away to my own personal um, aesthetic has been so influential. Um, it's sort of the, 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 uh, the heart to what I do um, at St. Art today. Um, you know, Vera Wang taught me embellishment and decoration and Jason taught me uh, sensuality and fluidity and drape and you know so I've learned a lot and gathered a lot from the most incredible people in the industry you know I I, I also Donna's five to ten easy pieces in the early 90s was a big calling card for me with regard to how I started building the collection with Caroline the founder of Saint Art um, we wanted to create key items and core styles that were the bedrock of the of the seasonal collection and continue to stay there to this day. Um, and that sort of influenced me working with people like Donna and, and, and Calvin. Well, that's a, I mean, you, you mentioned two others. So veteran indeed, <laughs> you know, you like me, I mean, the years, the decades just sort of go by and-, and They sure do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But it's interesting, you know, experience at Levi's, experience at The Gap as juxtaposed really by what you're doing now, what you did with Jason Wu, um, you know, the sort of high-low of commerce within fashion. How did that inform your design ethos? You know, as, as, you're, as you're approaching design for The Gap or Levi's, there are certain 
commercial realities, I suppose, that you're right. Um, do you prefer to work within that box or do you like to be unbridled, so to speak, uh, at more of a luxury price point? Um, look, I think for me, a designer's challenge is always the challenge, right? So whatever you're given, the challenge is to create. And I think what I try and do in every role I've ever had, whether it's sort of commercial, gap, real estate, you know, or high-end couture designs with Jason Wu um, and Vera, you know, it's it, the, the challenge is always there. It's always about creating something that people want um, and creating something that you're proud of. And it, it, no matter what the price point is, the challenge is still there. It's It's got to be aspirational. It's got to be wanted. And, you know, I've never really shied away from any of that. Of course, I love more expensive things. It's just an aesthetic. I think most designers pick things that are most expensive when they're looking at fabrics. I seem to have a knack at picking the most expensive fabric on a rack when I go to a fabric show. Um, you know, I think it's it's it, it's a challenge both ways to make that that work. It, it's never been a hindrance to me. Yeah. I've heard adjectives like easy, effortless, but also <laughs> luxe. Uh, I see elements of gender fluidity. Uh, so, so what is uh, you know the ethos of the brand, and um, what what design elements are indicators of that? Well, I think it it stems from obviously my my career and where I've been um, in the in in my heart. So my heart belongs to a, a more minimal, clean approach to apparel design. I'm not a fussy designer and I don't mean that negatively. I'm just, I just lo don't love the frills and pump and ceremony of a lot of um, design. It doesn't make it good or bad, but I just like things stripped down. I love to look at a garment and, and ask the question, is it really needed? Is it necessary? Um, and that's been a big part of the, the creation of St. Art. The other big influence is obviously Caroline, um, Caroline Gugelak, the founder. You know, she started St. Art solely for the reason that she could not find a street style woman's apparel brand that gave her all the, the clean, minimal price point quality things that we are addressing at St. Art on a daily basis. And that's kind of where it it sort of bubbled up into, into something um, more substantial than what the brand is today. Um, you know, she, she works very closely with me. We collaborate very closely. The team is a very small team. There's only six of us. So um, the creative process is, is very different than I've, I've had before. As a creative director here, I work with Carolina essentially as my muse um, you know, if she's looking for something, we address that. Um, recently, she was looking for a, a, a top, a jersey top, and, you know, we addressed that. We put it into the collection, and it's now part of the collection. It's a very give-and-take relationship, and, um, you know, that the minimal clean, and minimal can be overused a lot, I think. Um, you know, my my idea is I never want somebody to go up to a rack and pull something off a rack and say, oh, how do I wear this? How do I put it on? What do I wear it with? So this idea of creating something that one, a woman or a man or 
somebody wants to put against their body, I think is really important. And that's essentially the, 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 the brand DNA is it has to be comfortable, it has to be wearable. And in that sense, it becomes effortless um, because it's, it's, it's not wearing you. Right, right. Well, you mentioned street style um, earlier, which is a term that can be taken in a lot of ways. You know, some people refer to street style as, as urban. Um, in some cases, they refer to street style as, you know, street style photographers who are capturing people who are wearing rather outrageous things because they, they um, you know, they, they want to be photographed candidly. Uh, but what does it mean for you and for your brand? Well, I'm, I'm going to bring up Calvin a lot, clearly, in this um, podcast, but you know, in the in the early days at Calvin, it was 2000, 2000 and you know, CK one was just launching as a fragrance, and a lot of the a, a lot of the talk at Calvin in those days had been about street style and about this idea of off-duty models and how they would come into castings looking just amazing, and this sort of effortless approach to how they put themselves together and. They would walk in male and female just looking so incredibly nonchalant and and effortless and that that was sort of the 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 the, the sort of seed to the whole thing for me which is also what i loved about joining saint art and the team here is that it it's sort of a a perfect fit for me the idea of recreating that 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 person, that character is, is part of, of the, of the, the design struggle. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it must be nice to have a founder who's also an in-house muse because, um, you know, that, that can be hard to find or it can fluctuate. And I think in ways when it does fluctuate, there can be some confusion about the design perspective. Yeah. I, you look, I think that, Caroline's very vocal about what she likes and what she doesn't like. I think um, so are, so are con consumers, you know, things sell sometimes and things don't sell and that's them being vocal. I think the challenge for every designer is to, is to make things that feel, make people feel a certain way. Um, so she's been, she's been amazing that way. Um, she also wears clothes in a in a way that I, I I'm inspired by, and um, you know that's going back to that street style. It's sort of a way of wearing clothes that just I I see I see girls on the street or guys on the street, and I'm just blown away by how they put themselves together, and it looks so natural. It doesn't look forced. It looks easy, but yet so cool. Um, and, that, and that's something that I, I really, I, I really pay attention to. Well, so you were born in Paisley, Scotland. <laughs> you grew up in, in Zimbabwe on a flower and ostrich farm. I mean, this is the most exotic upbringing <laughs> I can really think of. How did those early life experiences, and, and, and even if this is part of it, that geography, lead you to design and, and how do they inform those designs? Well, I, I, I will tell you right now, I don't think that growing up on the farm was exotic in my, in my mind. <laughs> um, I can, I've seen I can, ostriches up close too. They're, they're rather <laughs> ugly. And they're not very pleasant either. But um, 
all jokes aside, I think for me, um, it was an it was a need to to do something creative in a world that, you know, Zimbabwe wasn't the the easiest place to grow up as a as a gay man, and you know, I couldn't wait to get out and explore the world and use my creativity in in a way that I believed I could. Um, I thought I was going to be a graphic designer. As I said, I trained as a graphic designer. So I always thought that that was going to be my vocation. And even though during the, the those days on the farm, I would sit with my sketch pad and a pencil and, and sketch these amazing women with crazy hairdos and all these crazy outfits and it, it was it was obviously always something inside me that I wanted to do and, and a drive um, and, and I have pride in the in, in the fact that I I work really hard to get where I need to go um, and I think you know Zimbabwe definitely informed me of color and subtlety and um, simplicity it, it's not a complicated place it's not a complicated i mean obviously politically it's complicated but as an aesthetic place it's not it's uncomplicated it's uncompromising it's beautiful um you know the the, the idea of growing up on a flower farm too just going to the flower markets and being informed by by all the color and and references was always I didn't know it at the time when I was growing up, but as I as as you get grow older and you get more wise to the the world, you realize that wow, that did inform me. And then just local people and the way the African culture addresses its its heritage and its history with the commercial world and how that mix happens is just so fascinating to me. And that also has given me a great insight into how to put things together. So I've always been a big believer of contrast. So putting a rough with a smooth, a feminine with a masculine. And I think that must have subconsciously been part of the, the local color that happens um, in the streets of Harare or in, in little farming villages and towns, um, how the culture is made do and how they've kind of melded those um, situations together. Well, so I'll hit you with a fairly hackneyed question, but um, the answer <laughs> is always interesting. What for you is the difference between fashion and style? Wow. Um, I think for me, style is something that is uh something inside it's not something that you can buy into style is sort of something you're born with i guess for want of a better term um fashion seems much more playful to me and much more created in the sense that you can be you can you can have very little style and still be fashionable um i think style is also something quite subtle and quite undertow and you don't have to put on a glittery coat to be noticed. You can be noticed in a V-neck T-shirt and a wide leg pleated pant. You know that there's things there that say so much about the whole picture of somebody putting themselves together, which again works back to how we try and do things at, at St. Art. 
Yeah, there's a reason they call it the fashion industry and not the style industry. So I think <laughs> that's so true. We've also just gone through a very big, big period. Um, I think after COVID, where people wanted to decorate and wanted to be outrageous, and there was, you know, everything was novelty, and you couldn't walk down the street without seeing, you know, a lot of novelty everywhere. Um, and I'm I'm glad that that's coming. It's sort of swung the pendulum swung um, a little further to the more cleaner, minimal side, which makes my heart sing. One of the stated goals is a maximum expression, minimal impact. And I I know that's a nod to sustainability. And I know that you know, as as someone in the industry for so long, that fashion has a has a rather checkered. Uh, track record when it comes to environmental impact, both because of overproduction, uh, which sometimes, you know, for brand protection, uh, gets destroyed in ways that aren't uh, aren't useful, and just candidly, there being so much apparel on the planet. So, how does the company address that impact? Well, it it it's simple in a way although not simple as as the industry can testify to it's not easy um to be sustainable with the way things um currently and in the past have worked so what we have done and what this is what drew me to um caroline was the the fact that she was able to look at how companies deal with things and how the current state of affairs is. So uh, a company goes to market and shows the collection and they have to produce it and they have to make 300 of the style. And we don't know what the reaction is to the customers and the style. Will they like it? Won't they? And there's 300 units of it made because there's a minimum and there's a fabric minimum. So what we've done, and, and it's very simple, We've dialed it back to product from design to production in 30 days. Um, and we test. We are able to test online. So we launch a collection. We test it. If it does well, we make it. Um, we don't overproduce. We make 50 units max if something's selling really, really well. Um, sometimes 20, sometimes five units, depending. So what's lovely about that is it allows me as a creative person to be able to say, wow, it would be nice to try this and 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 get it online and shoot it with the model that I like and 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 create the image and the character that I want to. But it also allows us to test it. And we've had some amazing surprises. I remember a coat, the Millie coat, which is a patent leather, uh, a faux leather blue um, coat with a bright blue lining. And I would never have been able to do that in the past. I, I, I would have put it on the rack. It would have a attracted attention, but nobody would have purchased it. And so Caroline saw this fabric on the table and she's like, oh, I'd love that in that coat that we did last season and we made it. I was not convinced it was going to sell. And we've, we've recut it and relaunched it every season in exactly the same color. Um, and it does exactly the same units every season. So, you know, those are the things that I think allow us to never overcut. There's so little waste. Um, our inventory, as I said, down, as we started, is downstairs. 
um, in this single office room. It, it's pretty amazing when you when you really look at what we've been able to achieve. Do you think that that is a model that is scalable? In a, in other words, to the macro problem of the environment and an industry which is somewhat predicated upon changing what it is that you purchased from in fashion to out of fashion such that you can then purchase the new thing that is in fashion. Yeah, I think it, look, I think we're, we're early days, right? It's, we're, we're scaling now and, and we're making sure that we're producing core or key items as we call them. Um, things that are never on sale, they never go out. We keep them constant. We have our tuxedos. So tuxedo dressing was a big part of the aesthetic when when we when we launched, and that has continued to sell. Um, we have a, a washable charmeuse that is um, a program that we add styles to every season, and we continue to deliver the three styles that are cool. Um, and those are the constants. So we can buy and manufacture more of those because we know they're a constant. Um, we don't mark them down. There's so little wastage. And sometimes, you know, we've, we haven't got it right all the time. We have sold out and we haven't been able to get back into the inventory. So, you know, those are all part of the learning curve um, that, we, that any company will go through. And, you know, we're, we're always willing to admit that we will make mistakes along the way, but we will learn from those mistakes to 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 build a, a a better model. Yeah. Well, and sometimes that urgency is a good thing. I mean, yes, you lose out on sales when you run out uh, of a particular style that is selling well, but by virtue of that, you create that demand for perhaps you know the 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 next seasons. Yeah. item that is um, is doing spectacularly. At yeah, I mean, we, we, we can test on direct-to-consumer. So to testing direct-to-consumer allows us to be much more confident going into wholesale. So the wholesale collection is built off key items and core product that we really know works and sells. So there's a little bit more assurance in certain things. There's always going to be a risk on on trend and and stuff that is very flighty. But that the purpose of that is also to make sure that the collection feels new and it feels interesting and exciting. It's sort of what I call the magpie effect. You know, people see it bright and shiny and they run to it, but they actually pick up something that is a staple and something very cool. Um, and hopefully by both, but the idea is that we will be able to test those things, have a little bit more of a read so that we're not producing mass mass volumes of items that just sit there and don't sell. Yeah. And then we also do work with um, a number of different fabric suppliers that have availability and, and remnants. Um, so, you know, we, we try every which way to make sure that we're we, we're, get, we're being able to get back into things. We're not waiting for the fabric to be produced and, and mass produced, um, which has been amazing because part of my design process is to create a palette of fabric and texture and color up front. I'm not a designer that thinks of an idea or a character and then designs and then finds fabric. I've, I've always been, it must be my denim days 
with everything from denim comes from fabric first. So I've always believed in creating the palette and the color and concept of the collection with fabric and then designing into it. Well, that's a uh, raw material is, is important indeed. Um, but I, I want to touch on fast fashion and just get your thoughts on uh, the, you know, you, you mentioned kind of the, the flashy thing that maybe draws a consumer in, but in the fast fashion model, some of those flashy things are, are very moderately priced and you have people purchasing them serially because they're affordable. What are, what are your thoughts on fast fashion in the industry? Well, it, it's such a hard question because we are fast fashion in the sense that we do it quickly. <laughs> mm -hmm. We aren't fast fashion in the sense that we are manufacturing and designing throwaway items. The idea of St. Art is that you you buy something and it lasts. The, the fabrics and the, the manufacturing and the details that we put into product um, is really important to us. And um, I don't think anybody would pick up one of our tuxedos and, and say, oh, you know, I'll wear this a couple of times and then I'll throw it away um, or I'll move on to the next thing. That's not the philosophy of what we do. And, you know, we try and make sure that the fabric, like our tuxedos are a two-way stretch um, twill. Uh, we fuse it. We put all the, all the shoulder pad constructions that really, really great tailorers use but we use it and, and maybe we take a hit a little bit on the margin to do it, but we give them a quality product at a great price um, that isn't throw, that isn't throw away. Yeah, yeah. The adjective fast and slow, um, because there is, you know, slow fashion, uh, can be misnomers in that regard, because I agree with you that a direct-to-consumer model like uh, St. Arts is fast. And that that is an actual environmental benefit uh, to reduce wastage when it comes to overstock. Yeah, completely. I mean, I, I, I think if you just, if, if we just maintain this idea that we're not mass producing things that are trend and, and fleeting um, and making sure we put the investment into the core items that build the the building blocks of each collection seasonally, I think it's a great model to stick to. Also, I do think fashion does change and does go in cycles. We all know that and people chase it and, and especially contemporary world chases it massively. I think the philosophy for us and the design philosophy around it is to maybe not chase as much, you know, make sure that the, the core product is there and and you have wardrobe builders and then the little spots the sprinkles on top sort of give you the the newness and the novelty it's not all novelty and it's not all rethought and and redesigned every season um we also on the sustainable front can't do that and also the size of the team um you know i i, I don't have a design team it's me and a product development person and production person. And, you know, I love that about working um, with St. Art, but at the same time, we just have to be able to create um, 
as as near to perfect product as humanly possible given the team and the size of the collection well designers have sporadically and i'm thinking now early aughts was one of these inflection points um, somewhat eschewed a career like yours where they went to major houses and designed for the houses in preference to simply going it alone almost right out of school uh, with eponymous brands that um, some met with some degree of success, others, others not so much. Uh, but I wonder in your career, were you ever tempted to do that? And um, you know, did you ever envision a Donald Oliver brand? I think any designer would be lying if they said they didn't dream about it. Um, you know, I have on occasion thought about it. I think it boils down to the fact that I'm I'm dyslexic and I'm not good with numbers and they scare me and finance scares me. And so working with people, especially like Caroline, who have, have so much, you know, savvy around finance and around the algorithms and the information and, just how it's much more of a thought process than, um, and this is not to say she's not creative, but that's her her thing and, and my thing is creative. And I think we found this, this gel and this unison, which for me has been an amazing part of my career. Um, I think it's been, it's been one of the turning points for me, even at this late stage. Um, so yeah, I've, I've thought about it. I think what's also amazing is that if I did do my own collection, it would probably be very, very similar to what I'm doing now. It wouldn't, it, it wouldn't be a lot different. Well, you, you really have hit on, I mean, I, I teach a course on fashion law that also MBA students attend. And you know, a lot of them feel that from a startup perspective, uh, young brands, can be uh, really hamstrung by the inability of founders who are often who are the designers uh, to to really run the business, and it is an extremely nuanced business. You have the benefit of someone with those capabilities, but that also uh, is inspirational to the brand and has a point of view which maybe she can't you know go sketch, but she can work with you to help bring those things um, you know, into realization. Uh, that partnership is, is absolutely fundamental when it comes to a startup brand, but on startup fashion brands, and particularly because St. Art is direct to consumer, um, I wonder if you think that starting up a fashion brand today in a direct to consumer model is more or less expensive than starting up a brand under the wholesale model where you were selling not directly to your consumers, but largely to big wholesale accounts like a Nordstrom's or a Bergdorf's or Barney's when they existed, you know, subject to whatever your price point was. No, I think, look, I, I, I knew very little about direct-to-consumer brands in general. When I joined St. Art and work, started working with Caroline, Caroline comes from that world. I, I definitely did not. So it was a huge learning curve for me. Um, and I, I think what we were able to do is focus in on what was important, 
we made some mistakes going along the way as every brand does. And I think we learned from those mistakes. So we were shooting product and launching product every month in the beginning. And we were shooting it in, you know, in the, in the studio here or on the streets of New York. And it was, it was a very creative time and I, I loved doing it. And, you know, yes, it was, it was pricey, but we did it on a budget that worked and creating images and putting images out onto Instagram and onto our site was a big part of how we created the brand and, and, and made it visible to the people out there. I think there has been a big push into focusing that down more and making it much more focused. So not trying to be everything to everybody, not making and making sure that the influences that we use are the right influences and who aesthetically sort of work with the brand and don't jar the brand. So being very, very honest and specific about who we are as a brand. Um, and being very clear about that. I think that a lot of brands want, want it just out there, right? They want their label out there and they want it seen on, you know, whoever it is. And I think we've been, we've been very strategic about how that's built. And we also, you know, this is all testament to Caroline in the sense that she has, she has worked with us to create that, but also not gone out and like just, flooded it it's it's been a very thoughtful very curated process to get there and we've still got a, a ways to go um but again we've now dialed the collection back we don't do nearly as many drops and we shoot when we shoot the lockbook and we do little drops here and there to sort of spice things up um and we shoot those our photographer used to be our, our financial planning person <laughs> she just happened to be very creative on the camera and you know we I, I pulled favors and we got some amazing girls to work with us in the beginning and and that's kind of how we did it yeah I, those are those are the salad days of, of startups you know where people are wearing multiple hats and you're getting it done chewing gum and chicken wire, right? But you're getting it done. And there is a sort of esprit de corps associated with that. Is that energizing at this stage of your career relative to some of the larger corporate positions you've had? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of opened my eyes to the creative process again. I hadn't sketched in ages, you know, and now I'm sketching and, and, you know, working with the pattern maker and, fitting i've always loved to fit but for me it's 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 really brought the creative process into the front and center and then also being able to create it and style it we don't bring in stylists we just don't have budgets to do big shoots and you know everything you see on the website is is a creative direction from myself and obviously talking to the team and and brainstorming about what it could be. And, and that's really, really important and, and very fulfilling, you know, creating a lookbook that you're really proud of and um, styling it with very little pomp and ceremony, I think has been really enlightening. And, and if, if people haven't done it, I would suggest they do it. It's really incredible. And yes, you know, I think 
it's very different from my merchandising design meetings at Gap. Um, but I learned so much from those meetings. I learned, I, I learned how to be able to edit in a way that I would never have been able to if I hadn't gone to a company as commercial and as corporate as The Gap. Um, and, and bringing that into, into my role today, I'm, I'm, I hope that Caroline would say that I, I'm, I'm, I do have a, a left and right brain and I do, I, I do work that way. I don't just frivolously design things. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more merchant design than, than most. And it speaks to the, the layers of creativity that a fashion brand faces. It's not just designing the clothes, of course, it's, it's designing the whole brand architecture, which is governed by choice of photographer, choice of lighting, choice. I mean, there are just so many aesthetic choices that a lot of non-fashion industry people wouldn't recognize as, a, as aesthetic choices. Com completely. Look, I, I, I take my hat off to all those style icons that I've worked with to be able to teach me. You know, when I was at J Brand, Carl, I had worked and known Carl for a while and Carl Templer came on um, and did our ad campaigns and did styling for our launch of Fashion Week for J Brand. Um, and I, I watched him and, and learned so much from people like that, watching photographers like Craig McDean and um, you know, Nick Knight at Levi's and all those amazing, amazing fashion people in the industry that I've been lucky enough to be, you know, alongside all in the wings in the early days as as the person that pinned or swept the, you know, the, the backdrop at the shoot. You know, I, I learned and watched and observed and that's really been a huge part of what we've been able to create here is being able to do the things and 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 not bring in these huge teams to create it um, on all fronts, not just the creative side, you know, the financial side and the planning side and production and product development. It's we're all wearing so many different hats, and 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 that's testament to every one of the very small team we have. Yeah. Well, most people view the fashion industry as being very glamorous. Uh, <laughs> And I think what you're alluding to is what you and I both know, that there are surreal moments of glamour, which are often juxtaposed by surreal moments of just, you know, facing the coal face, right? Of, of the actual yeah. garment production and or financing of the business. I mean, what, are, what have some of those been for you and your team? Oh my God, I have so many amazing, amazing memories in the industry, you know, just I, I I remember wanting to pinch myself saying, oh my God, I can't believe this this young boy from from Glasgow is in the fashion industry, grew up in Zimbabwe and is now hosting a fashion event on during Fashion Week for J Brand, styled with all the top girls and Carl Templer doing styling and Craig McDean shooting. And it was just, it, it was surreal and unreal. What people don't see is what the lead up to that is and the creative process and creating the collection and how, how much travel and how much 
of, of the life it takes from you on a daily basis. You know, you commit to it in a different way. Um, and, and that, that was amazing. Um, you know, my, my days going to parties, you know, at Calvin Klein and being sat next to Fran Leibowitz and Molly Shannon from Saturday Night Live because of his um, relationship with his daughter. And it, it was just amazing times. And, you know, those are the times that I will remember. And I love to tell stories, but it, it's, it's certainly not all glamorous. They're very fleeting moments. And the images that you're capturing in those shoots are even more fleeting um, they're there one minute and they're gone the next. Um, I do love the fact that the, the internet has been able to keep a lot of those images alive and they're a representation of, of who I am as a designer. And um, so that, that's a plus. Well, sticking with glamour for a moment, um, who were some of your style inspirations, past or present, men or women, living or dead? Oh God, uh, right now, um, I think the collaboration with Raf Simmons and Muccia Prada is just uh, un unbelievable. I think that the idea of modernity and, and, and dressing and clothing in, in what they're creating together is, is phenomenal. Um, you know, Calvin has always been such a huge part of you know my aesthetic and and who I look towards. Um, I go back and look at old shows on um, Vogue.com runway and just admire just the simplicity and ease of everything that he does. So you know, there's so many. Um, Carl Templer, you know, Craig McDean. That there've been some. I mean, Craig McDean just happens to shoot a woman in the middle of doing something and it just looks so fresh and so unbelievably aspirational. And, you know, those are the people that turn my heads and make my heart beat. Well, let's, let's stick on this thread slightly and pivot it to global cities. So what, and I'll, I'll, I'll ask you to list out three. What three cities for you have you been inspired by, perhaps continue to be inspired by in terms of the personal style of the men and women who live in it? Yeah, I think I obviously have to say New York. Um, you, New York for me is more about the street. It's more about this juxtaposition of street and urban mixed with fashion and high trend. And also this idea that I love that New Yorkers don't look like they give a hoot. Um, you know, I think that it it just it gives you that ease and that that sensibility of I don't care. Um, London, I li I I lived in London for what fifteen years, and London just for me is more about fashion. It's not about style. It's more about fashion. Um, and just the way people experiment and play with fashion in London is just so inspirational. Um, and then, you know, I lived in, in Los Angeles for um, oh, five years doing J Brand as creative director. And I think what I loved about that is this idea of the, the meld between surf culture and this, this, this need to 
be comfortable in the heat. And that combination for me is amazing. They want to be seen as fashionable and in themselves they are because they have a, a, such a different approach to putting things together. It's this laid back, very casual approach, which I think is amazing. Well, as a guy born in Los Angeles, I very much appreciate that. It's not on everybody's <laughs> list, but, but I would tend to agree with you. You uh, have to look a little harder for it because it's not, I mean, everyone's in a car, so it's, it's not easy to find, um, but it definitely is there. Yeah, no, you're right that that um, sort of encapsulation in the automobile and that that recognition that throughout most of the day, it's only your car that's going to be seen and your head poking out of it than what you're wearing. I think for a lot of Angelinos has made them a little bit lazy in terms of personal style, even if they have it. Um, and and the great walking cities are always ones in which, you know, people yeah. do get prepared I, I mean obviously there's paris and paris for me is about style it's it there's there's a, a parisian style that is inherent and it's it's part of them as people um but you know i i prefer um i prefer the more casual approach to um dressing it's just a personal preference um i am myself a very casual dresser so me that's why so. i was me less so but um, traditionally, there has been a very clear dichotomy between men's fashion, women's fashion. We have over the last decade, certainly commercially, seen that uh, bleed into more gender fluid offerings. Right. Do you feel that that is just a fashionable moment or do you feel that that is with us to stay in the future? Because certainly when one looks at the lifetime of human beings, there's been a lot more gender fluid dressing over the millennia than there has been in the last 100 or 200 years. Yeah, look, I, I don't have a crystal ball. Um, I'd love to have a crystal ball in, in fashion. I think that would that would be an amazing, um, an amazing thing to carry around, but I don't. And I think for me, I hope it, it's not a fleeting moment. I hope that um, people feel like they can dress in whatever they want to. And, and if it makes them feel a certain way, then why not? You know, I wonder what my sensibility and my fashion sense would have been if I had grown up in New York in this time and this era and being able to wear whatever I wanted without, you know, without the stigma. And yes, there's still stigma involved, but without the issues that I would have had growing up in Zimbabwe, for instance, I, I wonder how that would have informed me. Um, and that's encouraging. That makes me, it makes me happy inside that people can express themselves in this very open and unusual way in, in my eyes, but not in, in their eyes. And I think that that's refreshing and that's what fashion is all about. It should be refreshing. It should be pushing boundaries, it should be creating a look for yourself. Um, and, and that's what excites me about the, the things that are going on in today's world. Yeah, well, and certainly that anything is on offer if you feel compelled by it. In other words, you know, the straight jacket of maybe the 50s and 60s and 70s of menswear being very, very rigid in terms of what was on offer. I think women had great options during those times, but certainly men, you know, you were um, almost literally straight jacketed into traditional masculine styles, whereas yeah. today, 
uh, it, there's much more exploration. And you're right, it's um, it's uh, an, an, an easier, uh, I think, socially um, accepted, you know, right. so one doesn't feel uncomfortable, candidly. Yeah, I, it's, it's funny, I've, I've been, you know, I wear um, a lot of Rick Owen and have been a fan of his for, for many years. So, you know, I've, I've, I've put on a skirt occasionally from Rick Owens and I felt like empowered and, and fashionable and cool. And I, I love the way that makes me feel. And um, I don't do it often, um, but it, I, I love it when I do it. And, and, and that's just, in, that's so refreshing to me that kids are going to be able to do that without the stigma and without the the feeling awkwardness that I think I probably felt. Well, other than all the brands you've worked for and Rick Owens, um, <laughs> what are some other contemporary brands that you appreciate from a style perspective? It's so funny because there are so many, but and all for different reasons. Um, I think. People like Kate, although I, it's like, is it a, is it contemporary? It used to be. I don't think it's so contemporary now, but Kate, I think, is just so amazing in what they've done and how they've pushed the brand to be this fashion force in the US, I think is so admirable. I think um, Frankie Sharp is another um, contemporary brand that I think does an amazing job at creating a point of view and a character um, that is that is aspirational and achievable. I think Nilly Lotan for just those sheer basics, um, both men's and women's, I think are also um, are also really amazing. And the the taste level and um, the fabrics and and things that she uses is incredible. So there's you know there. They're, they're there for different reasons. Um, Kate about creating this amazing woman and character with a fashion sensibility that's so New York. Um, and then Nilly Lotan for the fact that it's a, a similar woman, but much more casual and maybe a little bit more West Coast than East Coast. But, you know, those are, those are some of the brands. Rachel Comey too, for a completely different reason. Um, you know, they're all, they're all, they all have very strong points of view. And that's what I aspire to do with anything I've ever worked with is to create this point of view that nobody's confused. Um, you know, I think Calvin also taught me that is you, you've got to create this image of a brand that is not confusing to everybody. So be crystal clear in what you put out. And I think he was amazing at that. Well, and, and perhaps in some ways this would explain, you know, brands taking perspectives, but also wanting sometimes to bridge between consumers. Brand collaborations have really driven part of the fashion conversation for the last decade. What, what do you think about them? Uh, what, uh, how does St. Art approach that? And, um, you know, do you think that, that again, uh, that, that those are just a trend or that those will be with us? uh for a long time yeah i i mean I, my j my days at j brand we did collaborations then you know we were denim experts and designers came to us to produce denim for them and collaborate on on collections of denim christopher kane 
was a, a big part of my introduction to um, Jay Brand when I first started at Jay Brand as creative director. He was um, the person that we chose to collaborate, and Jay Brand did collaborations on a on a seasonal basis because of what it did for our brand as well as for the brands we were working with or the collections we were designing for. Um, so I, I love them. I think that I. I, I, some of them have been much more successful than others. Um, you know, I think the twist and, and giving somebody something to think about is is amazing, but also working with people where they are the experts is key. Like, I'm, we would love to do a shoe collaboration with somebody who does an amazing trainer or a boot or something that we have no experience in. Um, you know, I don't have any, I have, I have done accessories in my past, but I, I'm not an accessories designer, so I would rely on somebody's expertise to be able to do that. Um, outerwear is another one that I think we could, we we would love to do, and we're not there yet. I don't think we're just quite ready for a collaboration um, right now, but we definitely would be interested in doing them in the future. I think with with the brands that that I had specified earlier. Well, Donald, we are out of time. That is a wrap, <laughs> but that was a, a great conversation, uh, getting to know you. And thank you so much uh, for speaking to our listeners. Yeah, thanks. It was amazing. All right. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Bye now. Bye. You've been listening to The Laws of Style with Douglas Hand. For more information, go to our website at www.hbaa.com. LLP.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at, at Hand of the Law. Thank you for tuning in and stay stylish.